Hello, welcome to the second ever episode of Flawed Code. I don't really know what this podcast is going to be, but I think I'm going to start using it to talk about things that I think are super important. As much as I love starting threads on Twitter, oftentimes they can get taken out of context or I leave out words when I'm trying to fit stuff in 280 characters and that's no fun. So today I want to talk about escaping poverty. And the reason why is because I think that there's this lack of understanding of what it means to have been poor or living in poverty or extreme poverty. Um, and when you get out, whether or not your life is instantly changed. Well, the answer is no, it's not. Um, of course, everybody's situation is different, but I'm going to tell you about my experience and why missing or losing out on opportunities, especially because I'm a woman or I, you know, have anxiety or bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder or PTSD that causes me to behave um, certain way in an interview that can lead interviewers to believe that I'm incapable of doing the job I've been doing for nearly two decades. So I'm going to start by talking about where my family comes from. So my dad was adopted. Um, he was actually adopted into a wealthy family uh, in Walla Walla, Washington. Uh, they owned um, a dry cleaning chain. And I think that if my father had been... <laughs> different than he is maybe you know they could have continued on that business and there would have been something different my grandparents were like really well known in the community they went to Whitman College with it which is a private Catholic University in Walla Walla um, very well known and just very much like high-class country club he was an embarrassment to them and then when him and my mom got together. My dad had already been divorced one time. Um, and then my mom got pregnant and they were all like doing drugs and all this crazy stuff. So, um, you know, my grandparents weren't about that. So we didn't, my immediate family didn't benefit from the wealth that my dad had been adopted into. Um, and interestingly enough, he also had an adopted brother, but he was, you know, a football player, got great grades. My dad is like super, super smart, um, just highly intelligent person. Um, but you know, my uncle, he fit, fit the part, you know, he could fit in at a country club and my dad just, you know, he never, he never did. He had really curly hair and was a slob. So he had dreadlocks and, the natural kind. I don't know. It, it's, that's just, that's that part. So, um, interestingly enough, recently, um, my mom convinced my dad to, um, get his genealogy done. And he ended up finding, um, his, a bunch of birth siblings. And I mean, a bunch, like we know of more than 10 half siblings. And that is because his mother turns out to be a prostitute and all, not all of the people got adopted into wealthy families, but pretty much everybody did pretty well for themselves, um, in their families, uh, that they got adopted into. So it wasn't all bad. But that brings me to my mother's side of the family. So 
The man that I grew up knowing as my grandfather and my mom grew up knowing as her father, um, he came from, he's a Walton. And um, also his mom's side is also, they come from generational wealth as well. But um, my mom's mom committed suicide when my mom was five and um, my aunt was four and my other aunt was two. Um, and her, the man we thought was her father, um, he did not want to take them. So my, gr my great grandparents, um, my mom's mother's parents, they ended up raising um, my mom and her two sisters. So um, that side of the family comes from generational poverty. Basically, as far back as I could go into our genealogy, all I found were was poverty and and they were farmers and they tried to start businesses and they, you know, barely, barely survived. I mean, even, you know, in Europe, um, that part of my family um, was among a group of uh, Germans who were sent to live in uh, it's called the Volga in Russia. So um, it's interesting because I have some like Russian DNA, but my family is all on that on that side is all like 100% German. Um, and so it, I started to do research into like how the environment can change your DNA. Um, and yeah, that's a whole whole other thing of like epigenetics, which is super, super interesting. Um, that being said, uh, supposedly when the people um, who went to the Volga from Germany went there, it was under the guise that kind of like how when um, the Europeans colonized America and uh, the government that we formed gave out plots of land to get people to move out west. Um, they were trying to do the same thing, but there we couldn't. They couldn't farm there, so they became. Uh, they went into extreme poverty, and then went under persecution very hard when um, World War II started. So, um, my family was among I think like ten percent of the people who were able to escape out of the Volga. Um, to come to America. So they were actually very, very fortunate um, because I wouldn't actually be here today uh, if they hadn't, because all of the remaining Germans um, that were in the Volga actually got deported from the Volga and sent to labor, forced labor camps um, or were killed in ethnic cleansing. My great grandparents are the only family that uh, my mom had growing up and that's the only family that I had um, growing up. Um, and uh, to touch back on um, my, who I thought was my grandfather when I was growing up, who again was not in our lives. Um, he uh, told my mom that he would, um, he was going to put her in his will. Um, and again, they have generational wealth. So that would change, you know, my mom's life and, and my life too, if we were able to be looped into that generational wealth. Well, my mom did the DNA test too, so that she could also be put in to the, some sort of record book of his mom's side um, that also has generational wealth. 
Uh, and she learned that that is not her father, that they're not related, and that actually her father is a man who owned a hotel with my grandfather, who is much, 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 much older than my grandmother was. Um, and super weird, but the man who got my dad's mom pregnant um, was the same age gap, which I think was like, they were both born in like 1911. Um, so it was like a, a 30 or 40 year age gap, but it's like they were born the same month, the same year, um, which is super, super weird and serendipitous in a really creepy way. Just how my parents are just both very like messed up people. Like I've talked about how I was like abused when I was a kid and neglected. And I'm not saying anything that they did was okay because they have mental health issues, but just knowing all of the things that they went through and you know probably some you know genetic stuff too from both sides the fact that they found each other and had three kids it's just like <laughs> you shouldn't have done that <laughs> but that's kind of like how i got to where i was growing up with two parents who you know my dad twice divorced and um divorced from each other and then my mom hooks up with this uh, my stepdad when I was in second grade and we so we lived in a house in Redmond Washington which sounds like a very nice area but it's interesting because it's it's the place we actually lived the longest and it actually had enough bedrooms for all of us that we didn't have like my sister and I did not have to share but there were like holes in all the walls it had termites in Washington there's like these gigantic ants called carpenter ants and so those were like coming out of like several walls um in my mom's bathroom um one of the walls was like taped up with like duct tape and like trash bags to keep the like outside out so we were in this house that was like falling apart in like a relatively mid-class neighborhood but like nobody was allowed to come inside because everything was just like falling apart and dangerous and it was a rental um but our landlords like they didn't i don't know i guess they like didn't care to fix anything when you don't have money you have to rent um and renting is a lot more expensive than buying not only because you're not getting equity into a home um but just because rent you know people who own rental properties they want to make a profit so whatever the mortgage costs then there's all of the money you know that they have to spend on the uh, the you know the additional cost to take care of the home on top of that that goes into your rent but then also the profit margin that they want on top of that so our rent was very expensive um because my mom really really wanted to I mean, I think she just wanted us to be in, in good schools. And I think part of her too always wanted, I mean, same as me for my daughter, you know, wanted to provide a life that was better than the one that she had growing up. You know, she grew up in a house that only had one bedroom in it, you know, and she had two, two brothers or two sisters. Um, and then her, you know, her great grandparents and that's the house where they lived. And she didn't want that. But my mom 
worked in fast food and eventually got into like office management and she just didn't make very much money. She was still, you know, under the poverty line, like not even having three kids, she's still making poverty level wages. But so my stepdad comes into the scene and he is just, he's worse than my dad. Uh, He was uh, addicted to meth and um, I know he did like other like prescription drugs as well. He would always like steal mine and my mom's if she ever got them. And he gambled and he was also an alcoholic. So basically my mom, when I was in like fourth grade, she got a job um, in IT after she had gotten some certifications from Microsoft. Um, at this really, really good company called Inca Engineering. And this is also how I kind of really got into computers because um, she would have to bring her work home sometimes. And so there was all this stuff about networking and hardware. And I was just super, super into it. I'm so lucky that, you know, my mom had that job, but she was making um, pretty decent salary for um, a woman um, in the 90s and working in a really, really good um, architecture and, you know, tech industry, like just lots of, uh, opportunity there, you know, to make more money, um, and actually, you know, to grow in a career as a single mom. But my stepdad would take everything from her and it just, every single year we had to move because my mom could not pay the rent because my stepdad was taking all the extra money she had. And honestly, I don't know that she even had any extra money, but my stepdad was not contributing. He was just on the take. And so my mom would pay rent nine months out of the year. And I don't know if this is still true, but back then it took them three months to really evict you. So it was like this game of like, okay, I can afford to pay nine months of rent out of the year, and then I'll save that money and spend it on getting caught up on bills the other three months of the year and, and moving. And that would cost less than staying in one place. So I went to a different school every year from fourth grade to 10th grade because we moved every year, um, just all within the Pacific Northwest. I read this Twitter thread a while ago, which, I mean, it made me laugh, but not in a, this is really funny kind of way, just in a like, wow, like people's, the way people perceive things is so different depending on what your actual experience is. And it was a thread about like how you knew you grew up poor. And I just, (laughs) I mean, pretty much every single reason listed was like really stupid. But the one that stuck out to me the most was somebody who said, I realized I was poor when I was looking at through all the pictures from my childhood and realized we didn't have a kitchen island. And I'm like, man, I can't imagine ever answering somebody with that's how I knew I was poor. I always knew I was poor. You know, we, when I was in well, when I should have been in kindergarten and my brother was in first grade, um, we had left California and uh, the reasons for which are horrible, but um, whatever. We were living in a van and then um, we moved into a, a small camper fifth wheel uh, which had a one queen size bed. And this was when my mom and my dad were still together. So it was one queen size bed 
in this tiny little space in my great grandparents where I said had a one bedroom house. Um, it was in their yard and we all five people lived in that and we all had to sleep together. And so just thinking back to that, I'm like, I knew, I knew we were poor when I was not even really old enough, I think to understand what that meant. But I always knew that like something wasn't normal and it had to do with what we had. And when I went into elementary school, um, we, you know, I had to have a free lunch and I, you know, I could see that like, I was one of few students that wasn't paying for lunch. Um, and we also got taken shopping for new school clothes every year by the school district, which there was only like four other people that did that. And I remember, um, you know, like when we would, when my mom would take us to places, it was always a really big deal if I got like one shirt from like Sears. And most of the time, the shopping we did came from, you know, thrift stores. So, and we, I didn't have birthday parties. I, you know, didn't really get birthday presents ever. And so when I read a thread, that's like how, how I, when I realized I was poor, it's like, I just, I always knew, I always knew that we had less than everybody. When I was in middle school, that's when I knew that being poor was a bad thing. Um, because that's when I started getting made fun of and wanting to, you know, find ways to make money on my own as like a 13 year old kid so that I could buy stuff from Abercrombie or I could get the, the Doc Martin fisherman sandals or a puka shell necklace or a bucket hat or whatever was the, the in thing to have that like, kind of like showed that you had, you were cool. I wanted those things. And, um, you know, I never, I never got them. So but I knew, so I always knew. Um, but none of th that stuff compares to like, when I was young, I don't think I ever realized why the electricity would get shut off until I was much, much older. Cause when we got into middle school and high school, that didn't really happen. But when I was in elementary school, it happened all of the time. And I remember like the pink slips and everything like that. And a large part of that was because um, you know, I was home all of the time and my mom wasn't my, you know, my dad didn't live with us anymore. He had moved. Um, he went to California for a bit and then got an apartment, um, a studio apartment in West Seattle. Um, and then my stepdad, uh, he was like, never, he was never home. Um, so I was kind of like the mom, uh, I had to like cook dinner and this started starting from when I was like five years old um, cooking dinner. And I, I specifically remember um, one time in particular when the electricity was shut off and nobody else's was. And I wasn't embarrassed about it. I was just confused. But I remember I boiled potatoes in a Folgers uh, coffee can in the fireplace. <laughs> So again, you know, I hear people and they're like, oh, there's no pictures or all the pictures. There's a kitchen island. Like, first of all, we don't even have pictures from my childhood. Um, there was very few to begin with. And the ones that we did have have since, you know, gotten lost in some eviction of some kind um, along the way. I actually think in particular, uh, this one eviction um, it happened faster than my mom expected them to, but they, they came to the house um, and none of us were there. Um, and this was when I was in high school and they put everything out on, like in the driveway 
like for the trash to come and get and then it rained so like it just ruined like any memories of whatever you know still existed or existed at all you know from when i was a kid during that time um when i said that my mom was doing better um what i didn't know at the time was that my mom was doing something wrong uh to create more money than she was making at her job and you know with my stepdad stealing money from her when i was like 14 i as soon as i figured out that not having money was a bad thing and you know that the electricity was getting shut off and that we had to move because my mom couldn't pay the rent like all of this stuff i was like oh my god like all i want in my life is to like never live like this and so i really wanted to open a savings account um, because I was, I just started working when I was 15, um, at Papa Murphy's Take and Bake Pizza. And I had actually worked a bit too at the construction company my mom worked at. Um, so I had like money coming in, but my mom was actually taking the money that I was getting and she didn't give it to me. And so like, and when I filed like my first tax return, it was $99 and I was so excited, you know, to be able to you know, buy the shirt that I wanted really, really bad from Abercrombie with it. And my mom took it and she never gave me the money for it. So I was like, I'm going to open a savings account. I'm going to, I'm going to deposit my paychecks and my tax refunds into that account. And nobody's going to be able to touch it. And I'm going to be able to save money. And someday I'm going to like be way better off. So my mom told me I could not open a savings account. And the account, the school counselor told me that at age 16, you don't need a parent's permission to open a savings account. And so there was a bank down the street from my house. I walked there and to open an account and um, they put in all my information and they told me that they could not open an account for me because I had several overdrawn bank accounts amounting to over $10,000 in missing negative money in, you know, in several different banks, including theirs. And I was so confused. I was like, I just turned 16. I was like, I've never had a checking account or a savings account. I'm like, I, there's no way. And they're like, well, they're like, here's the thing. The social security number matches and your address matches, but the name and birth date don't. And I knew immediately what my mom had done. And they, I asked them if they could tell me whose name was on the account. And they told me that legally they couldn't, which... Like, still doesn't really make sense to me, but it's like privacy laws or whatever. But they said that if I asked the name and um, I, I got it right, that they would nod to me. And so I said my mom's name and they nodded to me and I just broke down sobbing in the middle of this bank. I mean, and these everybody that was there was so empathetic of like the situation, but they're like, this happens all the time, you know, like parents taking their children's identity because they've screwed up. And so they helped me request my um, check systems and my credit reports. But then my mom intercepted those and Somehow I got in trouble for getting into that stuff. And my mom denied that it was her. She said that it was my stepdad who did it, even though the teller said for sure, like it was my mom's name. Um, and she never apologized for that. But basically what happened is that I started out life with bad credit, uh, records on check systems, and no way for me to get access to my own money other than my mom 
taking my money and me hoping that she gives me at least some of it. It was around this time that I actually discovered payday loan places because they would cash checks. So I wanted to have my money be my money. And the only way I found that I could do that was if I found somewhere that I could cash my checks. And so that's when I discovered payday loans. I'm not going to talk about all the mental health stuff, but around this time, it started to get like really, really bad because I, I had like a really tough time at school with bullying and everything. And I was also having a tough time at home. And now on top of it, I felt like I had no future whatsoever. I decided to move out and drop out of high school. And I, I went in and I did it and I got an apartment that was in a really, really, really bad area, but it was what I could afford. It was $395 a month, um, but it was a super dangerous area and there was a lot of crime. Uh, the cops and ambulances were there every single day. And I got really, really bad anxiety in, in this apartment with all this crime and scared and anxious all the time to like go out and like do anything. And I never bought any furniture because I could never afford it. Like the, what I moved out with was uh, this futon bed that I had in my room and my dresser. And then that's all that I had. So I slept on the futon in uh, the living room and I had a dresser in the bedroom and that was it. And it was just, it was just depressing, you know? And so I, I decided I didn't want to do that anymore, that I didn't want to live that life. So I had some um, friends who were older than me um, that had graduated the year before me who went to Arizona State University. So I was like, and, and Geneva, who was my best friend at the time, I just was like, I can't live this way. Like I need, I need to get out of here, help. And so her and um, our mutual friend, Marlon, they were like, just come down here and like get a job and, you know, don't worry about paying for anything um, until you like start making money. And I was like, okay, cool. So this was when I actually got my first payday loan and it was only for $200, but I couldn't pay it back immediately. So it ended up costing me $500. Um, it, obviously that wasn't enough to get a car, but I was lucky because this guy that I had kind of dated, who was my friend, used to fix up cars and he felt really bad for how he had treated me. So he gave me this 1984 Volkswagen Rabbit. Um, but halfway through the trip, um, I it actually broke down and the clutch went out. Um, so I uh, had to, I was walking down the road in the middle of the night and thankfully, somehow, um, somebody who I knew from the church that I actually went to when I was younger saw me on the side of the road. They happened to be there at their vacation home and they picked me up and like let me stay there and they paid for the my clutch and my car to get fixed. 
we had a really fantastic time. I worked at a restaurant um, that Geneva and I both worked at and we made, I mean, it wasn't, you know, <laughs> wasn't anything super. It was like a stupid little restaurant and it made chips and stuff. But it was the first time where I didn't have money being taken from me. So it was like, I was getting all of the money that I made. So it felt like so much. And then on top of that, the place that we were sharing was actually super, super cheap. And so I think the, we had like five girls living there and it was like $70 a month per person, something like that. I mean, it was, it was insanely cheap. And I mean, it was like a happy time, like just being stress-free. Um, I had some horrible things happen down there. So I ended up, uh, leaving as well. Um, and going back to my mom's house, which was a horrible, horrible thing, but that's kind of the the like bright spot of where I was like making no money, but I had no responsibilities other than just a very small amount of rent. After that is when I came to St. Louis, if I fast forward a bit. And at first everything was going really well. I was uh, again working as a waitress. Um, I had really, really cheap rent. Um, I had an awful roommate though. And then eventually I keep saying that like I had all this extra money, but I wasn't actually trying to like fix any of the debt that I had, but I really needed a vehicle. So I bought one at this place that's called a buy here, pay here place. And the car itself was a Dodge Neon and its sticker price was like $6,000 or something like that. And I was paying $300 a month for the $6,000 car for like three years. So I was paying, <laughs> a lot of money for this car um, that wasn't actually worth very much. But buy here, pay here places are basically, and payday loans are basically this predatory lending um, that is aimed at people with bad credit or no credit, which at the time I had bad credit because my mom had stolen my identity. There was a turning point for me, which, I, so my best friend when I was there, was Gina and she's like, I had actually just become friends with her right before my suicide attempt that was here. And uh, she was the person who came to the mental hospital and visited me like every other day when I was in there. And she would bring me Skittles and like balloons and stuff. And oh God, she was incredible. But anyway, her and I were supposed to move in together, but I basically through a series of really bad decisions with uh, Alexis's, my daughter's dad, um, ended up in a position where I had no job and no money. And I was supposed to move in with my friend Gina. And I was like, so embarrassed that like, I couldn't make it happen. And the guy I was dating, who is now my da my daughter's dad, convinced me to move in with him instead, because so I would could find a job and, and everything. And he was so sure that like, him and I were going to get married <laughs> that I should move in, even though we had only been dating for like a couple of weeks or something like that. Well, after I had been living with him for two weeks, uh, his friends started to tell me that he was like saying that he didn't want me to be there and that I was like crazy and obsessed and he didn't know why I moved in. And so, I mean, obviously he was embarrassed or whatever. I don't really understand, but I just left because at the time, even though like I had like a lot of like mental health issues, I had gotten to a point where I was like, I was not ever going to put up with, you know, a guy making me like look stupid. Like that was just not 
that wasn't going to happen to me. So I, I left and I, I literally didn't have anywhere to go. I, I remember putting all of my stuff in my car and driving off and just having no idea where I was driving to. Like, I, I didn't know, you know, and the moment I stepped out of that door, I was homeless. And so I started living in my car because I didn't know what else to do, you know? And um, I ended up finding a job at a strip club. And it's interesting because there's like so much tied in to how I ended up there. It's like on one hand, I was so messed up from being treated like a sexual object my whole life. And then on the other hand, like I hadn't, nowhere left to turn. Like I'm living in my car at this point. What, what can I do? Like what there's, there's no, this, this was like the first crisis of many. And I remember going and getting a payday loan using a previous pay, a pay stub um, from the restaurant job that I had. And it was like the money that I used to pay the you have to pay like a stage fee to like to like rent the space in the strip club and i paid that and i started dancing every night and like i wasn't because i was new like i had to pay all of these like fees and stuff and then plus i was paying off this payday loan that i had gotten to get started and at some point i started doing drugs too because i was so miserable and unhappy so i i did end up uh, getting an apartment and that's when I discovered rent to own furniture. Yeah, it's interesting because when you <laughs> when you live in housing that is for poor people, <laughs> you find out about all of the ways that you can I mean you think you're affording something, but really you're overpaying for it in these businesses that are lending you the money are making so much money off of what little you have available. It's, I mean, it's literally like exploitation, but I had no like money accumulation and like every single month paying the bills was such a struggle. And so I, I ended up kind of giving up and like I got, and this is when I, I got pregnant. Um, so I, I mean, I couldn't keep dancing. I was pregnant. Um, and I ended up going back to, my mom's house. And then there was this whole back and forth of my ex asking me to come move back in. Now, mind you, I'm driving from Seattle to St. Louis every single time this happened. And this happened like six times throughout my pregnancy that I moved back and forth across the country and had to go through three cars. Um, I actually got in a car accident in that one and it completely totaled it. And I did not have car insurance because I couldn't afford it. And on top of that, I had gotten a ticket because my registration on this car had expired uh, three days before and because I didn't have car insurance. And obviously I couldn't afford to pay this ticket. So when I got back to Missouri after I had gone back to my mom's again, I actually got arrested for a failure to appear on these tickets because I couldn't afford to pay them. And I spent four days in jail because I couldn't afford to pay the ticket. So then I had to go buy a $500 car and I kept doing that over the course of, you know, the 10 months of being pregnant to get back and forth when he was like, oh no, like this is for real. I'm really gonna make it happen. And 
quitting jobs during this time. You know, like I'd go back to my mom's house and like I got a job back at KFC. I got a job at Taco Bell. I got a job at Jack in the Box, like all of these different jobs, like going back and forth. And when I would come back to St. Louis, I wouldn't have a job anymore because I had to leave and I'd be going around looking for jobs, but it was like harder here to find a job. And he would always kick me out anyway. And then I would have to go back to my mom's house because I had nowhere else to go. And I wasn't going to live in my car with a baby. Ended up having my daughter at my mom's house. And that was when um, I got the the job that I did with, um, that was my first dev job is when I was, uh, the last time I went back when I was like seven months pregnant. And they were paying, they paid me $37,000 a year with no bonuses or anything. But my mom was charging me $1,000 a month to live with her. So almost half of what I would make every month, I was having to give to my mom. And I was on food stamps and WIC as well, but it still was not nearly enough money to pay for everything I had to pay for. And at that point, I basically started living off of getting a payday loan every single pay period because it was the only way that I could keep up with everything. And that's when everything started to really fall apart. I had to get a place of my own because living in a bedroom with my mom and a baby just was awful. And my mom wanted money. And I was just like, if I'm going to be paying you and you're taking my paychecks, like, why am I living here? You know? So I decided to move out. So I ended up leaving Seattle um, and quitting my job and going uh, to live in uh, Eastern Washington, which is much, much cheaper and doing um, client work. So I just got paid like $25 an hour. Um, but at this point I had incurred a lot of debt and student loans as well, because I, I kept trying to go to college to try to change my life. And over the course of the first year of my daughter's life, I realized that I was never going to escape being in poverty. There's something that's so disheartening when you are a single parent and you're not making enough money to make all the ends meet. You go to the grocery store, you buy your, you know, your stuff with your wick, you buy your stuff with your food stamps. And then you're staring at the electric bill and you realize that you don't have enough to pay it and you have to fill out the, the form for financial assistance with the electric company. And none of it feels good, you know? It all feels bad and you feel so helpless. I remember um, so my, my electricity got shut off one time um, when we were in Texas and I just remember calling because I had called them and told them that I couldn't I couldn't pay it on time, but that I got paid four days afterwards and that I would be able to get caught up on it at that point. And they shut it off anyways. And I remember calling and just like screaming at the people because like I had a you know a three-year-old and like what was I supposed to do? Like I can't just not have electricity. And and again, this is where you know, it comes into where like you have this crisis and there's nothing you can do. And that's when I started getting more payday loans because I, 
I didn't ever want to not have electricity again or to not have heat or not have water. Like those things, like I had to have, I had to keep a roof roof over her head. I had to keep the electricity on. I had to keep the water running and I had to keep the heat on. And those were like, those were the things that I was like, I have to do those things. But the income I was making wasn't enough for that. So I started working extra jobs, which (laughs) as I had more work that I had to do, uh, more jobs that I had to do, it was like costing more in childcare. Now, a lot of you are probably wondering, why didn't you just file for child support, right? <laughs> because that is the normal thing to do. But my ex, he actually has another child that he pays child support to, and he's never, I think he's seen him like one time in his whole life, and he's never had a relationship with him. And I, even though like there were times when like we didn't live in the same state and he didn't come around very often, I didn't want my daughter to grow up with without any relationship with her father, you know? Like I wanted to protect that so fiercely because I knew that so many of the problems that I had were because, you know, my dad was not around and my stepdad was so awful. And even though my ex was like not a good boyfriend, and not around very much when he was like he was a really good dad and my daughter adored him and there was i didn't feel like i could jeopardize that by filing for child support like i i didn't want that like it was too scary for me in 2009 um when we were living in texas i had um an ectopic pregnancy um in 2009 when we were living in texas I had an ectopic pregnancy and it was in my tube, in my fallopian tube. And um, I had to drive myself to the hospital, even though my ex was actually there at the time. But I did not have health insurance at the time because I was working at um, these two different restaurants, but neither of them, you know, provided health insurance. So I didn't have any. And the bill for the surgery, the emergency care and everything was like $29,000. And that was like, even though like I had like all this debt from like payday loans and like trying to go to college, like the the, amass of it was all less than $10,000. So having this, you know, like $30,000 bill was crazy. And I remember after the surgery was done and like I was like waking up and, you know, like feeling better or whatever, um, that the like social worker came in and, I freaked out because the last time a social worker had come in uh, to my room, it was when I tried to kill myself. And so I was like, oh my God, like what is going on? Like, you can't, you can't take me like, you know, whatever, freaking out. Um, But they asked me if I could, if I could pay for half of it, that they would forgive the rest. And I just remember I started laughing hysterically because I was on Dilaudid, um, which is like a, um, a pain, a really, really strong uh, pain killing drug. I was like, I don't have $15,000. Like I don't, I didn't even have $15 at the time because I had just gone to Walgreens to get my ex cold medicine with the last of the money that I had until I got, until I got paid again or until I worked next. And I had missed, you know, these three days serving and they were like, you need to stay, like stay off of your feet for at least uh, the two weeks. And I literally had to go to work the next day because I didn't have any money. But yeah, so I had this huge, huge medical bill 
And when my daughter, um, you know, was this age, she actually was covered by state health insurance. Um, so I never had to worry about uh, the cost of like taking her to the doctor and everything. But that was like such an enormous burden because that's when I started getting like collection calls all of the time was for this hospital thing. And I was just like, how can you people keep harassing me over $30,000? Like I, I didn't do this to myself on purpose, but you know, that was, that was how it was. That's, that's just what happened. And that's the kind of thing it's like, you know, you realize that when you don't have money, like who, I mean, if I go to the doctor now that I have like good health insurance, like I don't even ever see something of $30,000 pop up. Like when I had cancer, because the, the insurance company like negotiates all of these rates and it's so much cheaper than, um, than if you just go to the hospital without health insurance. Um, but it's again, it's just this like thing that it, it costs more to not be privileged. Like it costs more money to have nothing. After that, um, things kept getting worse and worse and worse. And um, we came back to St. Louis and uh, cause my ex like, I just, I followed him everywhere cause I wanted my daughter to be with her dad and it costs so much money to move so far and there was like money that I didn't have. So again, I was like, you know, getting these short-term loans to like cover all of this stuff and I couldn't pay them back. So it was just like became this whole, you know, just blemish on my record where I was like, okay, like I guess eventually when I'm doing better, I'm going to have to pay for all of that stuff. And some of them I'm still paying on. <laughs> we moved back to St. Louis and I get, um, I get two jobs and I'm also working on um, like client websites on the side for like $25 an hour. But the problem with being a contractor that's a woman, um, at least, I don't know, probably not now, but definitely like during the mid 2000s was that um, once people figured out that it was just me, one of two things would happen. They would disappear um, or I would do the project and like half of them wouldn't pay. And I think it's because I wasn't like assertive enough to be like, no, like I am, I'm a single mom. Like I, I desperately need this money. Like, and I, I didn't know how to like get myself that money because it just made me like so uncomfortable and scared. When USA Today reached out to me um, and wanted me to come interview, it was like, that's it. Either I get this job or I'm gonna be homeless, you know, and my, I'm gonna have to give my daughter to my ex because there's there's nothing else. They, they flew me out there and everything, and I got myself to the airport, or rather, um, I took there's this train or whatever, so I took the train so I didn't have to pay for parking because I literally had no money, not a dollar to my name. And I got out there and I got to the hotel and. Mind you, I've never stayed in a hotel um, before by myself. Like I had stayed in a hotel one time before that um, with a friend, 
Um, but it was for her uncle's wedding. And so he had like covered all of the rooms. And so I didn't know that when you get a hotel that you have to like put a credit card, which obviously I didn't have and, or put down a deposit for like the stuff in the mini bar. And I didn't have that. And I was standing there sobbing and it was like 10 PM when I had gotten in and I, you know, I needed to have a shower and like get ready for this interview because it was literally like going to make or break the rest of my life. And so I'm standing there in the Hilton in McLean, Virginia, just sobbing because I think that like, this is it. Like, I'm not going to be able to go tomorrow. Like I'm, I'm going to have to find somewhere to sleep outside. And how can I, you know, go to this interview like that? But thankfully the night manager was there and they were like, it's okay. They're like, just please don't take anything out of the mini bar. And I'm like, I'm not going to take anything out of the mini bar. Like I just need to be able to walk across the street tomorrow to go to this interview. And I I'm like, I have to get this job. Like there's no other choice. And so I did get the job and they actually told me as I was like taking the shuttle um, back to the, the airport that they were going to offer me the job. And so I got the offer the offer was for $67,000 a year. Um, it said it was up to 10% bonus, but no 10% bonus ever happened. Um, and there was a signing bonus. And so obviously I accepted the job and I made the decision to take my daughter and go to Virginia, just the two of us alone, totally alone. And I had it in my mind that this salary was so much more than it was just because, I mean, we're talking about like basically doubling my income, but I didn't understand being above a certain threshold and how that changes the way that you're taxed and, you know, moving to a more expensive area, like what it was going to cost you know, to um, maintain a household um, for two people and childcare and, and everything that kind of like goes into all of those things. I didn't think about it. And so I got us a place to live. I, I bought furniture with um, my, my signing bonus, which was really cool because I had never been able to afford to buy furniture before. I, very quickly realized that like I had very limited funds, but I was kind of lucky because USA Today was actually paying all of their developers in the same way that they paid journalists at the time. And so I was getting paid monthly. So I think I had like $3,800 a month after taxes. It was, it was something close to like that. And then my rent was like $1,400 a month. And then bills, 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 you know, came after that. And I always had like a little bit left over every month, not to the point where I was like building a savings or anything. And I still, you know, I wasn't contributing to my 401k, um, but at least I was at a point where I wasn't in like a week out from my next payday and having zero money. And I was paying things on time. But then um, my daughter had something happen to her um, and she um, she got sick and it cost a lot of money because the health insurance that I had at Gannett 
uh, first of all, it was very, very expensive. Um, every month it was like 300 and something dollars a month for full coverage for my daughter and I, which is like child plus or, uh, the employee plus family, which I guess can be any number of people. And it had um, a $10,000 family deductible that you had to meet before before they would start paying anything other than office visits. So the ER had come, or, or excuse me, uh, the so the ambulance had come and all of this stuff. And, and the, the bill at the end was like $7,000. And I had to start paying it because I was trying to fix all of the, the damage that my mom had done to my credit report and the damage that I had done because I really, really, really wanted to be able to buy a house someday. And I knew that I couldn't do it unless I cleaned up my credit. So I, uh, I ended up basically being back in the same situation I was in before. And the thing that I stopped paying was actually my student loans, which was a huge mistake. They ended up garnishing my wages um, because I wasn't paying it, which I guess at the time I didn't know was something that could happen. So fast forward several years, just because it was kind of a lot of the same over and over again of like not really getting paid enough, but it's sort of like, stretching myself and like making it happen i once the garnishment with my student loans was gone and not because they were paid off but actually because i i got them refinanced um which made them stop garnishing my wages um so if we go all the way forward to when things had actually started to get better um is when i was on the way to buying this house that I, I live in now. And that was like three, three years ago when I was on that journey. And I had done so much work to just like live super frugally and get everything paid on time and get things off of my credit report and finally have my credit report be in my own name. Um, and not my mom's. And then, um, in the summer, right before I bought this house, I got pushed out of the job I was in and the workplace was like super, super toxic. So it wasn't, I wasn't upset about not working at this job anymore or anything, but it was like, what was I going to do? Like I was in the middle of buying a house. I had already like paid the deposit and there was, I, there was no way I was getting that money back. And I talked to the people at the front and were like, can you like, it, the like salespeople and they were, I was like, can you just sell the house? And you know, they told me that one, no, I couldn't have my money back. And two, if I didn't like get a loan that they could sue me, um, for not purchasing the house. So I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> like I have to like find another job. I have to like figure this out and make it work. Um, and so I, got, um, I, I got an unemployment, which seriously paid like $300 a week, which is like, it wasn't even enough, um, to cover like my rent <laughs> at the time. Um, and, it, and that was for a two bedroom apartment and it wasn't enough to cover my rent. It, it felt so silly, but I mean, still it was, it was definitely better than zero. Um, and so I, 
uh, I found a contract um, online that uh, some like a network and like somebody had networked with me had hooked me up with, and I charge a hundred dollars an hour now for um, for the work that I do um, freelancing, and this guy who I worked for for two weeks did not pay me a dime, zero dollars did they pay me for working um, eighty hours. And I was so distraught because at that point, that was the money that I like I needed. And so I got to this point where like at that point, like I, I was late on everything and the only thing that I could pay was my rent. And so I had to call like, you know, the electric company and everything. And I'm like, I can't pay this stuff this month. And they're like, well, when are you going to be able to pay? And I'm just like, um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to figure something out and I'll, I'll, I'll catch up next month. And so here I am back in this perpetual, you know, catch up mode. Um, I ended up getting another contract with Webflow and they did pay me, which was awesome. Um, and then I got another contract after that, which was with um, another company for three months and they, they paid me as well, but um, they paid me manually. And I had this situation happen where um, they, forgot the the guy who does it. I mean, it was a very, very small startup. And so the guy who, who was supposed to do the payroll or whatever, he forgot to pay me. And so I had all of these bill payments of, of, and these were like the things that I was like getting caught up on from before they all bounced. And so then I didn't like, I was short, like all of these overdraft fees, I think it was like $300 or something that I didn't, that at that point then didn't have enough money, even getting with getting paid to actually pay um, my bills. And once they, you know, started, once they, you know, the, the people paid me my paycheck and stuff, but then I wouldn't have enough to pay them all. So I had to like find a way to like solve that problem, you know, so that I, because at that point, if the stuff was late, it was getting shut off. Like there's always this window where you can orchestrate things to where even though you're behind, everything is still on and, and functioning. You're just paying late fees basically every single month. So I was able to figure uh, that out. And then I was able to get a job and things I thought were going to restabilize until another thing happened. Um, and I guess I didn't know that this had started happening because um, Gannett didn't have you know, my address in Missouri and the state of California, for some reason, didn't have my address in Missouri, but Gannett had somehow backdated all of my W-2s with my last address that I worked at or that I lived at when I worked there. And that was in California because I had started working remotely before I went to work at Blizzard. So they sent all of these to the state of California for some reason. And the state of California decided that I lived there for four years that I didn't live there and, but that I owed them um, income, state income tax for living there those years and penalties. So it was like $9,000 and I did not find out about this until they put a lien on my bank account and literally took everything out. And it, it sucked up like three of my paychecks. I mean, at, pretty much from that point on two years ago, I have not been able to catch up on anything. And um, also at that same time, that was when I, I bought this house. 
um, the county had sent the wrong parcel to my, my mortgage servicer. So when they calculated my mortgage payment, they messed up and they weren't charging me enough um, for the tax payment the following year. So, and, and like significantly, they had like estimated my taxes were gonna be like 200 and something dollars and they're like $6,000. Um, so when we get to the next year and you know, they're paying my taxes, I end up with a negative escrow account. And of course, they also need to readjust so that they're taking out the correct amount for my real estate taxes. So now there's $12,000 that they need to take out or that they need for me over the course of the following year. And so my mortgage goes up by more than $1,000 because this it started in like February. And so my um, mortgage went up to almost $4,000 a month, which obviously I cannot afford. So I ended up getting extremely behind on everything, trying to keep up with these insane mortgage payments. And, you know, things were happening here and there. I had um, incurred more medical debt from um, when I was in California because of deductibles and basically that's that's where we are now a friend of mine helped me out so that my house didn't get foreclosed on and because it i did get caught up um they my mortgage company granted me um a refinance um and so my mortgage is back down to manageable manageable payments but i'm still behind on almost everything else all my credit cards are maxed out. A bunch of them are closed. I mean, it's it's a nightmare. But that's the thing that I think that people don't understand. You know, you think that just because somebody is making a certain amount of money that their life is a certain way. But that's not always the case. You know, you never know, you know, what that person's monthly costs are and and not necessarily because you know they're living beyond their means or whatever but also because you know you know they've been handed a crappy deck of cards the the main thing i think about when i think about like all of this stuff is how many times like i've applied for a job that would actually enable me to pay off all of the debts that I've incurred, you know, over, you know, my adult life and allow me the freedom and space to contribute to my 401k, to build a savings that so that when inevitably something goes wrong in the future, that it's not a chaotic orchestration of trying to figure out how to make ends meet and to keep a roof over my daughter's head and keep the electricity on and the water running. It, I had interviewed at Twitter and Riot 
actually at the same time um, that I was interviewing with Webflow. And even though I'm like super, super happy, you know, to be working at Webflow, it's still a startup, you know, and both Riot and Twitter, you know, had the ability to pay me over the, the threshold of where I would be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel and pay off, you know, all of the debts that I have. And when I didn't get those jobs, like, I mean, I sobbed and cried and, you know, felt very sorry for myself and wished that I was a dude so that I could be seen as the same competency as the majority of my colleagues and, and my peers. And, you know, being consoled during that time of being like, oh, you don't want to work at those places anyway. Like, you know, like money is not important. And it's just like, okay, money is important. Like it takes a hell of a lot of privilege to say that money's not important. If money's not important to you, congratulations, because I can't wait for the day when I don't care about money.